Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Let's pray together to begin. Lord, we do ask that your spirit would be upon each of us individually, that you would open our hearts and minds, that we would see truth and learn to walk in it, that you would set anyone here who is a captive free, whether captive to their own sin or to lies, I pray that you would set people free. And for all of us, that we would take one further step in growing to be more like Christ. We pray for the children and all that's taking place in the nursery and other places that there you would speak truth to little hearts. That they would come to know you and walk with you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As I was praying and thinking about little children... I've said several times with regard to the camps that we host here at Celebration or we do off-site that they are some of the most important things we do. And I was encouraging some of you to sponsor kids to go to Camp Placid, things like that, and, and people stepped up and did that. And sure enough, there have been a number of young kids except the Lord. And when we were doing baptisms last week, some kids who, were, who had accepted Christ at one of the camps were there being baptized. And it is a really important and significant thing. So as I thought of that, I thought I should give you a report that it does matter when you sponsor kids and things like that. Now, where we were last week is talking about the subject of abundant life. And it comes from John 10.10, where Jesus said that the thief had come to steal, kill, and destroy but that Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly, or as one version interprets it, have it to the full. And it is true, if you look around the world, that the spirits of evil do a pretty good job of stealing, killing, destroying, wreaking havoc upon communities, upon individuals. I'm sure some of you, most of you could think of a person where Darkness entered their life and wrought destruction upon them. Sadly, I've done funerals for very young people where, whether by their choices and following temptation, they went down a path that led to self-destruction. And so when Jesus made this statement, it is a very true and real statement. And yet, if you know Christ, you can have life and have it abundantly. But what we were talking about last week was what does it mean to have abundant life? Because I'm pretty convinced that most people in American society would define abundant life by material things. What they have in this world, what they've acquired, their accomplishments, their status. That many people would define an abundant life by a wor worldly perspective but that God's definition of an abundant life is very, very different. In fact, you could almost take whatever the world says is a full and abundant life and turn it upside down and then look for where God is at work and you would find what he would describe 
as an abundant life. And I use the Apostle Paul as an example of this, where he writes about himself in Philippians. He said, if anyone else thinks that he has confidence in the flesh, in other words, if you think you are a proud, a successful person, I have more confidence. He said he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was saying he was from the right ancestry, the upper class, that he needed to be respected just because of who he was. That he was a Pharisee, that was like saying he was in a very lofty, successful position, you name it, whatever it might be in, moder in the modern world. That he had a zeal for persecuting the church, and as regard to legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. Of course, no one is really faultless with regard to legalistic righteousness. But he said that he had set out to and successfully abided by the law, at least in his own mind. And see, many people in that day would have looked at him and said, oh, I'd like to be the Apostle Paul. Actually, he was the Pharisee Saul at this point. That they would have liked to have been a religious leader, an influential person, somebody with wealth and, and power. That to be a Pharisee in Jewish society in those days was a very, very lofty position. And yet, the Apostle Paul wrote about that and said, whatever I once considered to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. That what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, that he considered them rubbish. Now, in fact, rubbish is a word that refers to what? Trash. And so he was saying that what I thought was so important, what I pursued in this world, I now consider worthless, of no value. Some years ago, I was just driving along and I happened to notice that somebody's, their garbage was right out at the side of the road. And in addition to their garbage can, there was a lot of other things sitting there. And on the top of the pile was a box with trophies in it. And it, it just sort of jumped out to me because if you think about it, we all pursue our trophies, whether literal or metaphorical trophies. We think they're very important and we display them in some way and we want others to see them and even when they get a little dusty, we shine them up. But eventually, I'm sure in that household, at one time, these things that people considered so important, they were now out on the side of the road as rubbish. And you see, in reality, a lot of the things that we pursue in this world that we think are so important that would give us the fullness of life, material things and positions and so forth, we later might look at those and go, what was the value? Did it really matter? In fact, I'm sure we could go around the room here and ask people to say, have you pursued something with fervency at some point in your life and maybe you succeeded and gained whatever it was only later to think was it worth it does it really matter or get to a place of thinking well that was satisfactory for a season but now I've got to find something more and see, a lot of people have squandered important portions of their lives, not investing in what is true abundance, but in seeking after the world. 
And so I left you really a, with the question of sifting your own heart about are you seeking abundance in the world or are you seeking abundance in the kingdom of God? And so I would ask you, literally, are you living an abundant life? How would you answer that? Are you living a full life? And some of you might be confused, like, I don't know. Some of you might immediately think, no, I don't think I am. Many of you might think, I don't know how to answer the question because I don't know how to define abundance. Well, let me suggest to you this. That if you are growing in the likeness of Christ in all of your ways and you are encouraging, causing, facilitating others in growing in the likeness of Christ, then you are living an abundant life. You understand what I'm saying by that? That if you have come to know him and the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you and you are living out the life of Christ, that you're walking in obedience to him, you're guided by the Holy Spirit, you're fulfilling what he's called you to do in life, then inevitably, because Christ is in you, there is going to be an abundance that is overflowing from within. And if you love him deeply, inevitably, you cannot avoid encouraging others in the same direction. You can't avoid inviting others to know Christ. You can't avoid encouraging those who do know him to grow into maturity. See, are you growing in maturity in Christ? And are you causing others to grow to be mature Christians? If you are, then see, there's fruit in your life. There is an abundance like my neighbor is, I call him sometimes Mr. Green Jeans because he's so good with gardening things. And just recently, he, he, he stopped me and said, hey, do you want some tomatoes? Like he's got tomatoes just bursting everywhere. He's got an abundant crop that he's just very gifted in that. And see, if you are walking in Christ filled with the Holy Spirit, there is an abundant crop that will come from your life. I've done a lot of funerals, and some of them are far easier than others. Most recently, my friend Shelburne Ferguson passed, and Shelburne had been a, a great, not only friend, but helper and counselor to me for many years. And it was very sad to do his funeral, but at the same time, there was a a peace and a joy about it because he had come to know Christ as a young man. He'd lived it out throughout his life consistently in all that he did. He was a lawyer, but he considered his ministry working through law and people who shared at the service just testified about the reality of Christ in him. Even one of them particularly talked about how Shelburne had encouraged him in his walk with Christ. Shelburne had lived abundantly 
And it wasn't because of success in the world or material gain or anything like that. The abundance was the overflow of the life of Christ in him and through him. And see, if I ask you the question, are you living an abundant life and you don't know how to answer the question, you're unsure, then your prayer should be, Lord, work in me, transform me to make me a person in whom your spirit is so richly dwelling and working that there is an abundance, an overflow, a crop pouring out of my life into the lives of others. Now, I do want to continue talking about the idea of abundant life. And yes, it is a series. As you know, it's easy for a single teaching to morph into a series around here these days. And this week, what I want to talk about is abundant eternal life. I'm fairly confident that far too many people have a temporal or earthly perspective without an adequate eternal perspective. And it's, it's not healthy to live in fear of death or anything like that, but I think it is wise to be aware that this life is temporary. That none of us have any guarantees about even tomorrow. And there is a necessity about having an internal perspective in all that I choose and do. Now, occasionally, I spend too much time thinking about things. And, of course, my wife is richly blessed by this because sometimes I'll dwell upon something and then go into the kitchen and unleash a sermon upon her. And she'll say something like, you really have been spending hours thinking about that, haven't you? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, well, I'm glad somebody does and not me. But I have been thinking a lot about the idea of death. I mean, you could just dwell about, well, are we just tarrying here, waiting till we reach that point? It's like we're just on a slow journey to the end. But a better way to look at it and the way of Christ is that you are given an opportunity. It's almost as if you've signed a professional contract with Christ. And he's saying, for this season, whatever length of life he gives you, he wants you to give it everything that you have. To allow his spirit to dwell richly in you, to pour out through you so that he could expend your life completely, day by day, moment by moment, for as long as he appoints for you to be in this world. That as long as you have breath, that Christ wants to live abundantly in you and through you. And that there are consequences in this world and eternally for making the choice to live in that fashion. Now, to talk about this idea of abundant eternal life, I want to go to Matthew 6, where Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust can destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And I'm going to explore the idea of, well, what are these treasures? It's much easier to define treasures in this world, is it not? 
And really, treasures in this world come from lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. The temptations that were set before Jesus by Satan had to do with those. Like if, you would, if Jesus would bow down and worship Satan, then he would give him all the kingdoms. And you see, the treasures that we seek after in this world are the things that we see and want because of our fleshly desires or our prideful hearts. But Jesus said, don't seek after those, but store up treasures in heaven. Now, the treasures in heaven have to do with the work that God does in you and through you to accomplish his purposes for advancing his kingdom in this world. Do you understand that? In other words, when Christ lives in you and you simply because you love Christ, live daily to honor him, to serve the people around you, that in the simplest of things that you do, where Christ is in you, working through you, you are storing up treasures in heaven. Sometimes they're very, very small things. I just happen to remember a story. Many years ago, right after my father died, my mother had a pit, a dog that she and my father had had for years. And it was just shortly after my father died that that dog died. And I knew I was going to have to go there and get it and bury it. And it was just grieving my heart to have to do that because it was like having to also grieve my dad again at the same time. And before I could go, the man who was our veterinarian knew about the situation, showed up at her house and said, I'll take the dog and bury it for you. Now, he may not have given that a lot of thought. He was a Christian gentleman, by the way, a very godly man. He may not have given that a lot of thought. He may not have thought he was storing up treasures in heaven. But it really mattered to me. I mean, it was at a critical time that he just said, I'll do this one thing for you. And I don't even know if he realized he was doing it for me. I did write him a letter and thank him later. But you see, I believe in the kingdom of God and the way God works that God saw that as a service that was very important. And he was storing up treasure in heaven, not on earth. I'm sure he had many other things he could have done on that busy day. Now, the reason that Jesus said this is in the very next verse. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In other words, if you are a person lusting after the world, seeking after success in the world, you're seeking treasure in the world, your heart will be seeking the world. Yet the scripture says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And see, this is the danger that you can be seeking after the world so fervently that you love the world and you do not love God. That's why the scripture says, do not love the world or anything of it. That where is your heart? Now, certainly I know as a young man, 
my heart was seeking after the world. And over the decades, not centuries, but decades of my life, I realized that the things of the world that I so sought after now have no affinity. Like, I just don't desire them. I want to know Christ and him crucified. There was the story in Matthew 19 of where what we refer to as the rich young ruler, rich young man, came to Jesus. And he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, you know the commandments. Keep the commandments. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, and so forth. And the young man said, all of these I have kept. Now, if I were Jesus, at that moment, I would have said, whoa. All of these you have kept perfectly? He might have said, oh, yes, just like Saul The Pharisees said he was faultless with regard to legalistic righteousness. Saul, by the way, surely knew when he became Paul that he was not faultless by true righteousness, but just by the law, legalistic. But it's interesting that Jesus did not stop and ask the man about his statement. He could have. Surely he could have said, you're telling me you have never, ever coveted something that belonged to your neighbor? You've never told any lie? And of course, Jesus could have what? Given him a list of all of the lies he had told. But instead, he skipped over that statement because the young man says, well, what do I still lack? And he says, well, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Of course, if you know the scripture, you know it ends on a sad note because the young man goes away Because he has great wealth. Now, you see, I believe the reason that Jesus skipped over his first statement about having kept all of the law, when in fact he surely could not have, was he went straight to the heart of the matter. Because here's a young man who had worldly treasure, and Jesus knew that if he was going to seek God and really know him, He was going to have to release his worldly treasure to seek treasure in heaven. And so he cut right to the heart of the matter. Because his heart was tied to his wealth. And until such time, as he let go of that, it was going to continue that way. Quite a number of years ago, I heard Corey Ten Boone or watched her in a... um, video interview and uh, she was talking about holding on to the things of the world and she said in her broken English that you it is a good thing to let go of the things that you hold tightly to when God asks you to do so otherwise he will have to pry them out of your hand And sometimes some of the difficulties that God orchestrates that we go through in life are because he is prying out of our heart a treasure that is keeping us from that which is more important. So you go through a trial in life, instead of 
being angry about it and frustrated and demanding God fix it, you should ask the question, Lord, what are you doing? What are you wanting to change? What do you want to be different? Now, there is work that is unto the Lord. In James, it says that faith without works is dead. It's not saying that works earn you any favor or works gain something for you. But if you love Christ and his spirit lives in you, inevitably he is going to work through you. And I've said many times, and I'm increasingly confident that it's correct, that you will not be rewarded for the things you do for God. You will be rewarded for the things that you allow God to do through you. You see, in the first one, it's me in my own strength, in my own flesh, trying to accomplish something. And that may not work out so well. There are a lot of things done in the name of God or in the name of the church that God never sanctioned. They're worthless. But as you surrender to God, you seek him, you love him, naturally he works through you and you'll be rewarded for those things that he does through you. See, that's the great part. It's not you doing it, it's him. And if, if it has value, if it has eternal value, and that being the case, then you are gonna receive the reward. For we are Christ's workmanship, created in him to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. See, I so despise, and I repeat it a lot, but it's worth repeating. I so despise the idea that in the church, there are a few people in positions of leadership and in the hierarchy that are to do ministry and everybody else just sort of watches. I'm convinced that's an absolute lie. It's just not a New Testament model because you are a priest, according to the New Testament. It's the priesthood of all believers. Every one of us who knows Christ is filled with the Holy Spirit. Every one of us is created in Christ to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We just have different giftings. This is why in the discovery class here at the church, we... we have sections where you learn about your personality and about your spiritual gifts and things like that because we want to encourage you to understand how God has gifted you to fulfill the ministry that he's called you to. See, every last person should be able to say, if somebody stopped you on the street and said, what is your ministry? You should be able to answer that question. Now, some people, they think, oh, that, does that mean I have to go to seminary? No, no. For some people, your ministry is, I'm raising eight children right now. That's 90% of my ministry. The other 10% is advising other mothers who are doing similar things. But everybody should be able to say, what is your ministry? In fact, I said this before. A few years ago, I was praying one day like, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Like, I thought he was just going to give me some big thing. Like, I was just, just at that place of like, Lord, what is it you want me to do? And I was just listening, and I'm certain he said, feed sheep. That was it. I'm like, okay, I feed sheep. 
I wrote that down. Do you know what I've realized in the years that have passed? That's my ministry. That's all I do. I feed sheep. Sometimes I feed cows, the next door cows. I like them. I feed deer. I feed birds. You know, you name it. I like to feed them. I feed the neighbor's cat sometimes. But I feed sheep. What's your ministry? Really, as you're going through the week, ask the Lord to refine in your mind what is your ministry. For you are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works. Now, some people plant, some people water, but everybody will be rewarded according to their labor. In other words, there's no one ministry that is superior to another. God has called different people to different things and there'll be eternal rewards for you fulfilling what God calls you to. Don't try to be somebody you are not. Do you realize that's, that goes on all the time? Like, especially among teenagers, they're trying to be somebody they are not. Be at peace with who you are. There are a lot of things you cannot do. Just accept that. There are things you are called to do. That's how God has created you. But you are created and you, for those things and you'll be rewarded according to fulfilling those. When we do the spiritual gifts test here, now there are a variety of gifts that show up real easily and real prominently. Like, you know, if a child is gifted with music, sometimes they can listen to a song on the radio. I know a young man who, when he was like four or five years old, he could hear a song on the radio and go over and pick it out on the piano. Very young, he just had that gift. Sometimes gifts like that or voice, they, they show up very early, they're very prominent and people encourage you. People get prideful with those. They're not careful. But there are a lot of gifts that are not so obvious. Like, for example, some people, their number one gift is the gift of intercession. Now, if you're seven years old, a lot of people around you may not recognize that's your primary gift. You may not even understand it. But as you go through life, the Lord will certainly open your mind and instruct you in that way. And when we do the spiritual gifts test here, that's one of the gifts that doesn't show up as commonly. But then there are always people that God, God calls to that ministry. You realize in the worldwide ministry of Billy Graham, there were some people called as intercessors to, with his ministry, whose eternal reward may be greater than Billy's. We don't know. But whatever your giftings are, God will reward you accordingly. Now, some people will say, well, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink and see you as a stranger, invite you in or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then the king, the king of kings, We'll say, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. Like the veterinarian who did one little thing for me that day. And see, Christ sees every single thing, everything, no exceptions. And there are a lot of things in your life that if you're walking with Christ and you love him by nature, you naturally do things without even thinking about it. 
You don't wake up and say, oh, I'm gonna go store up treasures in heaven today. How can I do that? I gotta find somebody to do something. No, it's just, I just serve people. Simply, in some context. And God has a way of setting before you all kinds of opportunities virtually every day where you can be his servant in that situation. I think of years, many years ago when my son Jonathan was born, he was in the NICU. You've, I've told the story many times about he was in the hospital a long time. But beside him was a little girl who was premature. And I, I think she only weighed about two pounds or something. And we got to know her parents who were in sort of a desperate place. And if I remember correctly, they weren't married. And there was a church at that time that I knew about that was right beside the hospital. This is before Celebration Church ever existed, by the way. There was a little church that was right next to the hospital, and I knew the pastor there. And I got that couple connected with that church because they needed a lot of help. The church was providing meals for them and other things and helping them with various ways. And this pastor really came alongside them. And if I remember correctly, my memory's a little bit vague, I think it's correct that he performed their wedding, that they became married while their daughter was in the NICU. And you see, in that case, we were there dealing with a lot of difficulty with our own son. But even in that context, the Lord gave us an opportunity to serve his kingdom. We didn't really have, let us say, the emotional capacity to be strongly invested in that couple in light of what was going on. But I knew people who did. And they were very good at it. And see, it was a simple thing, but in the kingdom of God... It matters. Now, the scripture does say this, though, that there will be those who appear before Christ who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons, perform miracles? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Away from me. Now, how could that be? Well, that's what I said earlier. I think there are those who are trying to do things in the name of God and God never sanctioned it. Think about those who are so deceived to think that they could go and murder others in the name of Allah and somehow please God. See, there are a lot of people who are deceived doing religious things and they're really walking in darkness. And that's why we have to be careful because you and I can set about doing good things, but they are not the things that God has called us to. And the church is guilty of forcing people into trying to do something good, even though God never called them to do that. That's why we like to wait until God raises up people to fulfill roles. Because if we just try to push somebody into that position, it doesn't usually work so well. Now, lastly, the scripture says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. 
you know, you could use that as a test. That is, in every single aspect of my life, am I doing that which is honorable and glorifying to God? Is there any single portion of my life, any component that would not meet that test? The scripture says also that your labor will not be in vain. See, when you get a clear perspective that this life is temporary and you realize that knowing Christ is what it's all about, fulfilling his ministry in your life is what matters, that like Paul, you think of everything else as rubbish, but knowing him the, uh, above all things, that's what matters, that you naturally fulfill his will in your life, that it's not in vain. He even says he's coming soon and his reward is with him that he will give to everyone according to what he has done. To the unrighteous, those who've never known him, there will be judgment. They'll be banished from his presence. For those who know him, I, I believe he'll take you through every detail of your life and show you all of the rewards that you have gained by his work through you. And there will be an abundance. So I ask you, are you living an abundant life? You see, there's this critical thing about, am I trying to live an abundant life in the world or an abundant eternal life? One that matters in the kingdom of God. And remember what I said about how to define an abundant life in the kingdom of God? Are you growing in maturity in like, the likeness of Christ and are you causing others to mature in their relationship with Christ? If so, inevitably, there will be an abundance, an overflow from your life. I would suggest to you, as you're praying this week, you just lay before the Lord and say, Lord, am I living an abundant life? And you might be surprised how he will say to you, yes, and here's how. He'll point out to you the ways in which he is working. It might surprise you. But he might also say there's this one thing that you need to let go of. Because it bears no fruit in his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask that you would point out to every one of us where you are working abundantly, where you want us to understand what you're doing, but also any place that is robbing us of abundance. Lord, teach us to be people who have an internal perspective, not a temporal one, that we live for your glory and your purposes. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org and make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.